Hi, welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. I'm your host. That would be Father John Ricardo, Executive Director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming parishes. And I got a, I got a boatload of guests and visitors here. Back with uh, my good buddy Nick, Nick Jorgensen. How you doing, brother? Doing great, Father John. Good to be here. We got uh, Mary Gilfoyle with us, too. She's a member of our team. How you doing, Mary? Hey, Father. Awesome. It's Awesome to be here with you guys. Great. I'm going to tee you up in a second. We got some visitors too. We got a couple of seminarians. We got Ryan and Kevin, uh, both on their way out to their diaconate uh, retreats coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks. So please keep them in prayer. How you doing, guys? Good. Well, good. Yeah, and then we got uh, Deacon Steve with us too. We don't give him a mic though, because uh, not yet. Yeah, it's dangerous. Just can't get it. <laughs> not <away>. yet. <laughs> so Nick, we're back in um, in our offices here at Most Holy Trinity down in downtown Detroit. That's right. So. Just outside our window, trying to paint a picture for people, is what we call the Lodge Freeway. And so you might hear a little ambient noise as we're doing this. There's some cars driving by. Every once in a while, there's a siren. We are in downtown Detroit. Um, might be a few other things popping up out of the windows, but it's, it's just great to be here, isn't it? It is. It's so good. It's so good. Literally blessed us with a great location here. So again, so. as we talked about in our first podcast last time, this place is a historic location because it was uh, the first Protestant church in the city of Detroit. It was then the first English-speaking Catholic church in the city of Detroit. And uh, it was also the first hospital in the Northwest Territories. And I know we, we think about that all the time, don't we? Just pray about how we feel like God sent us out uh, together with all the other people who are doing work similar to what we're doing to be something like physicians, trauma doctors, um, to care for people who are wounded in parish ministry, right? Amen. Medics. Yeah. Medics on the move, a MASH unit. Might even be an ambulance driving by here. <laughs> so, uh, right, which is, which, that's all extremely relevant because today's topic is the gospel is power. Absolutely. And all the more fitting because we're coming close to Christmas, right? That's right. That's so right. We really want to encourage today's podcast is really all dedicated um, first to priests and to deacons and bishops who are going to be uh, proclaiming the gospel in these days coming up, but then also to our, uh, our lay brothers and sisters. Um, trying to encourage them, help them, equip them to share the, the story of the gospel with what it is that we're about to celebrate in these next couple of weeks, huh? That's exactly right. So, Father John, will you open us in prayer right now? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for these great days that we're in, this time of Advent, and uh, the great season that's about to begin, the season of Christmas, when we call to mind that it was out of your great love for us that your only begotten Son, through whom everything that exists, exists, chose to become a man so as to rescue us from the plight that we had brought ourselves into by our rebellion at the beginning of our race. Lord, we pray that every person who hears this will not only come to know in a more profound way, but will be able to share ever more joyously and attractively the power that is the gospel with their friends and family. We ask all this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're here, I mentioned we're here with Nick, but we also got, uh, so time to time, we're going to have different team members pop in, and we got, uh, we got Mary Guilfoyle, Mary's uh, longtime friend. You and I have known each other, and your husband and your daughter for how long now? A long time. You're dating us, Father. So uh, back in 1996, when you were the associate pastor at a parish that we were attending at that time. I was a brand new priest, thought I knew a lot back then. Brand new priest. But I remember, <laughs> like yesterday, you said, I came here to do one thing. 
And you said, I came to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, and you've continued to do that for the last 23 years, so thanks for that. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Mary and her husband and uh, daughter have just been great friends of mine ever since I've been a priest. It's actually a good thing just to say, not only to my brothers who are priests, but also for uh, you laymen and women listening to us. I mean, priests desperately need friends. I mean, you guys have just been a great gift for me. <laughs> and uh, So I pray for my brothers, uh, especially in, in this culture, which is increasingly lonely. Right, yeah, especially amen. amongst men. Oh yeah, that, that God will just uh, bless you with great friends with whom you can just do life with, uh, you know, have fun with, enjoy, eat, um, play, and, and pray, and love the Lord, and try to do all that we can to make life all that it's supposed to be. <laughs> so, Mary, you you worked in uh, parish ministry. We worked together, obviously, but yeah. um, tell people what you did. Yeah, so um, I've been in parish ministry most of my adult life, but most recently, over the last seven years, I was invited to to serve at Our Lady of Good Counsel in Plymouth. Who invited you? <laughs> I think that was me. It was the it? Lord. It was the <laughs> Lord through that a, you. That was on a tee. Come on, yeah, hit the ball. that was the hit Lord. The, the Lord was speaking powerfully <laughs> through you. And you're a persuasive man. So um, so there I served as the... Goodness knows the pay wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a joy. It was a holy blast. And so I served there for seven years. Um, eventually, my, the final position that I had there was um, Director of Evangelization and Discipleship. And because we saw g- God doing some really incredible things there, um, had the opportunity and the great pleasure of just mentoring a lot of um, pastors and parish leaders from across the country. I'd say over the last five years, probably talked with anywhere between 80 and 100 parishes across the country, which has just been um, such a joy. Uh, yeah, it wasn't unusual. I know this because uh, Mary would work oftentimes late into the night till 10 and 11 because I'd get emails at midnight, which I didn't read until the next day, of course. <laughs> um, but you would constantly be, you'd be doing your full-time work in the parish, but then you were also, if you will, coaching parishes all across the country who, through one way or another, just kind of got to see what God was doing uh, at the parish where we were blessed, uh, blessed to serve. And so you have a ton of experience, not just in your own parish ministry where we were, but also in just seeing what God's doing right now all around the country. And it's exciting, isn't it? It's very exciting. And I had the privilege of being with you in Iowa last weekend, got together with some brothers and some sisters and some pastors that I had relationships with for many years, and just to be able to meet them face to face. And we were talking about just the joy that it is to collaborate together right? And, and and to see the Spirit moving. So it was just a great exchange for me yeah. uh, to talk with our brothers and sisters, to share what the Lord was doing um, in our area of the vineyard, and then to find out what God's doing in their, in their neck of the woods. And so um, all of a sudden, the Catholic Church in the U.S. got very, very small because yep. we were working side by side together, and that's just really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, maybe the summary of this is just don't be discouraged, people out there. There are so many great signs of renewal that are happening all around the country, aren't there? Amen. Absolutely. So Amen. Nick... Um, this is a special time of year. Oh, yeah. Christmas is right around the corner. Yep. So, you know, in our parishes, we're, we're, we, keep, we keep seeing improvement, right? I mean, we're giving away books at Christmas a lot of times in parishes, you know, Matthew Kelly books and those kinds of things. So those, those, are, those are good steps um, in terms of really seizing the opportunity. The family is coming home. Uh, so often, like, people, we host for Thanksgiving or Christmas, right? And uh, you, you roll out the red carpet. You do the best you can. You, you, serve a, you serve a really good meal. Maybe you get the nice dishes out, hmm. right? You really prepare something beautiful to love on your family. And that's, trying, that's what the church is really starting to try and do better and better is, is to love on the family coming home because we don't see them every Sunday. Uh, but at Christmas, we, we will have full churches with people who come once a year. Um, and so... Yeah, there's a pastor in England. He calls them submarine, <laughs> submarine Christians, right? They surface. 
It's a great line. They surface at Easter and Christmas. And I think when I was newly ordained, it used to frustrate me. It doesn't frustrate me at all anymore. It's like, praise God, you're here. Yeah, Amen. blessed be Jesus. Please, God, so you'll grateful. hear now what it is that Jesus wants to say to you. So grateful. So no more stink eyes, right? Like That's joyful, right. joyful celebration. Here, right? The family right. is home. So that being said, right, this is this like this is the best time, arguably, to preach the gospel at Mass. Hmm. Right? So, Father John, you're a preacher. All the time you're preaching. What, what, what's the operative question in your mind at this time of year at Christmas? What's, what's, what's going through your mind? Yeah, so for me anyway, the question I'm always, I, I think the question that I need to continue to get clarity on and then what I'm always trying to ask the Lord to help me to communicate to people is uh, the answer to the question, why is he there? You know, so this is the time right now, Advent, and then leading up to Christmas, into the Christmas season. Many of us have our, our little manger scenes out, the crash, you know. So a That's manger right. is a trough, right? It's a really kind of disgusting instrument out of which, you know, oxen and sheep and whatnot eat. And so probably not sheep, I guess, but oxen and other cattle. So uh, the eternal Son of God, the one through whom everything that exists was created, and for whom everything that exists, exists. That person is lying in a trough. He's come to earth. Why? Like, and what's it got to do with me? What, what possible relevance or difference does this make in my concrete life right now with all that's going on in my own personal life, in the country, in the church, at work, wherever it might be, right? So, for me, I'm always trying to, I, I want to know that more clearly. I've, I've been ordained 23 years. I feel like uh, God has taught me more in the last two years um, about that question, how to understand it myself, and then to communicate it myself. But that's the question. Why has God come? Did he, did he simply come to tell some stories? Be nice. Yeah. Did he, did he come to do miracles? I mean, he told stories. Mm -hmm. He did miracles, but that's not why he came. He didn't come to tell stories, and he didn't come to do miracles. He came to do something else. So I was with you, Father, last week in Iowa, and you had an opportunity to speak to 1,400 high school students, and you threw out this quote that you use countless times when you're speaking with people, both lay people and priests. What's that quote, Father? Yeah, so Pope John Paul II, who uh, was just a real hero in my own life, he was the one who really shaped me in terms of seminary and then as a priest when I was uh, younger, so in a, in a letter that he wrote on catechesis, uh, he talks about how the result of the initial proclamation of the gospel is supposed to be that a person is overwhelmed by what they've heard to the point that they gradually surrender or entrust themselves to Jesus in faith. So, I, you know, I read that the first time, and I think the first time I ever came across it I just asked myself a question. Gosh, I, I don't think I was ever overwhelmed by the gospel when I was a kid. And I bet if we took a survey this coming Sunday at Mass, you know, like typical parish, wherever you are, right? Whether you're in California or, or in the Midwest, even in New York, right? You just say, hey, how many people here have been overwhelmed by the gospel? Anybody? Bueller, right? <laughs> Anybody? Right. Anybody at all? Right. Maybe, maybe you'd get 20 hands? Maybe? Right? And then how many people here have surrendered their lives to Jesus in faith as a consequence of having been overwhelmed? Very few. I'd guess fewer hands, right? Right. But that's what's supposed to happen when the gospel is proclaimed. That's why we proclaim the gospel, not just to give some data or whatnot, right? 
You guys, we were just all together, right? We, the, the three of us travel a lot together. The five of us travel a lot together for our work. But the three of us, we were in, uh, we were in Rapid City, right? Mm-hmm. Tell, yeah. t- talk about, a little bit about that because I know you guys had some conversations. I was kind of uh, doing some presentations and whatnot, and you guys were um, really able to just interact with, uh, we had like, I don't know, four, five, six hundred lay folks who were there for, uh, mm-hmm. for a day that we spent time with. And yeah, you guys, church. I know you had some conversations with some people. What was their response? Yeah, why don't you go ahead. So there were like 560 folks who had gathered for um, a lay summit. So, so the expectation was is that they were there because they had faith, right? And so you had an opportunity, Father, to really unpack in great depth the kerygma, right? The proclamation of the good news. And I remember there was a, a woman after the talk, came up to us and said, why have I never heard this before in my life? She's in her mid-50s, faithful Catholic, but had never heard the story preached in the way that you had preached that. Hmm. Remember? Yeah, I do. And there was another gentleman, um, after you had uh, finished your talk, he, he said, okay, I get all of that, but why did he do it? Like, I want to know the why behind all of that. And how did you respond, Father? Yeah, so this was great. So Nick's Nick's our our IT guy, and so he's doing things in real Mm -hmm. time. And so I think that was in between, like, the second and the third talk or something like that. And so that guy just asked that question. We're like, Nick, we got to get Y into the deck for the next presentation, right? And so, boom. T minus 60 seconds. Exactly. Hey, no pressure, bro, but get that in there. (laughs) So why? And then we're going to go, like, okay, Lord, how do you want to answer why? And that's an awesome question. Why in the – not only – why has he come? But why would he do this? Why would the creator of the universe, who's not bored, right? He's not waiting for his next toy. Um, he's not disappointed because Michigan's not in the national championship game. I mean, why would he decide to become man for us? Like, why would the creator become like his creature? And uh, the best answer I've ever had, I've ever two great answers for that. The first comes from, I think it's Romano Guardini uh, in the book, The Lord, where uh, he says, the answer to that is because um, love does things like that. Mm. And God is love, which just tells me, I don't think I know anything about love. Because <laughs> if I was the creator of the universe and my creature rebelled against me, I think I'd just destroy them and start all over again. <laughs> you know, like stupid, puny creatures, that's let's right. make a new one that's, that's obedient. Right. Um, but the other answer, I think it's Joseph Pieper, who's a great philosopher who's passed away now. And uh, he's trying to answer the question, what does it mean to say to somebody that I love you? And his answer is, um, to say to someone I love you means to say, you are worth the trouble. And so God, the creator of everything, who's not some distant, uninterested, you know, removed being who's this floating mind wherever the universe, you know, has its far reaches. God is a loving father who says to you and me, whoever you are right now, with whatever's going on in your life, you, Nick, you, Mary, Ryan, Kevin, Steve, John, like you are worth the trouble to not only create, but to go through all that I am going to go through, starting with what we're about to celebrate at Christmas, becoming a man and then culminating in his passion and his death and his resurrection. You're worth the trouble. And countless people that we see, right? All of us, me, you, all of us. I'm constantly wondering, like, you know, I, I, I'm just, I don't think I'm worth anything. Hmm. I've blown it so many times. I, I just don't think I matter. And the gospel, the heart of the gospel is you matter. You matter to God. 
That's right. So that's our hope, right? That's our source of strength and encouragement. That's what we want to try to proclaim to people. Amen. And once that, once that happens, once we experience that gospel as power, we, we give it over to Jesus, to our lives, it, we stay in that place and we continue to experience that power over and over. I mean, just today, we're at Mass, just literally minutes ago, and the Lord's pulling me into a place of repentance. The Spirit's just like revealing some, some areas of weakness in my life. And um, so I'm repenting all Mass long, just from this state of like, like grief of my own self, right? Mm. And, I'm, and I'm seeking the Lord's forgiveness, and right after Mass, Mary, you come up. <laughs> this just happened, literally. You hand me your pardon rosary. And uh, whether she knew it or not, that was God saying, I pardon you, Nick. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, just boom, there, there's the power of the gospel again. Yeah, because you don't you matter in the abstract. Right. Right. Like, God wants to communicate that to you right now. And he just did that. Like, that's who God, like, God knows what's going on in my life. He knows what I that's need right. Right, now. right now. And he finds ways to communicate that to me. Right? That's right. So here's the challenge. I don't think, this is my own, I, I don't mean to, uh, this is really a condemnation of myself as a priest. I certainly don't want to attack um, other priests in the least by saying this, but I don't think, my experience, like that woman who said to you, Mary, why have I never heard this before? I don't think most Catholics ever really hear the gospel. Why do you think that is? So here's the way I I might refine that. So, because I've been thinking about this a lot. We talk about it a lot here. I think Catholics typically hear bits and pieces of the gospel, Mm -hmm. but they don't hear the whole gospel in what I might call like a, a concentrated, intense burst. And I think, I mean, I know this is true in your life, Mayor, with uh, your husband, Steve. At a certain point in your lives, it was true for me. I think with uh, my sisters who left the Catholic Church at a certain point, all became really devout evangelicals. Um, I think a lot of Catholics, we hear people say things like, you know, I grew up Catholic, and then I, I started going to such and such in, uh, a church, and I met Jesus. <laughs> and of course, objectively, they were meeting Jesus every time they were coming to Mass right. in the most extraordinary way in the Eucharist, Right. But they didn't know it. And the sacraments, they don't make sense if you don't know what the story is about, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the challenge in the Catholic Church oftentimes is uh, the lectionary that we use. Mm. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to go rogue, like throw out the lectionary. That's not what we're talking about. But the lectionary presupposes uh, that you're biblically literate. So you get these three readings which once in a while have something to do with each other, right? Usually the gospel and the first reading are, are, are um, it's being foreshadowed in the Old Testament in the first reading and fulfilled in the gospel. But here's the challenge when you, when you come to Mass. I don't know the Bible, so I'm sitting in the pew, you walk in, you hear some readings from who knows when, written by I don't know who, in a place that I've never been to or heard of. And you get up and start preaching, and I'm just hoping you don't talk too long. It's kind of funny, and you give me something practical to do, and we can move on with this. And, which is not really what the, the homily is supposed to be reduced to, right? So I was celebrating with a, a friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago, and as I was sitting there just kind of looking at people's faces, it, I felt like the Lord j- just enabled me. This is the way I would describe it. I'm looking at people who it's as if they woke up in the middle of chapter 83 of a book. And they have no idea what's going on. Like, what's the plot? What's the title of the book? <laughs> they don't even know they're in the story, right? So it'd be kind of like watching, imagine you and I are watching a, you know, a 16-part miniseries. You know, we're binge-watching, and, or I've been binge-watching, and you guys walk in on episode 15. 
you're lost, right? And I think that's what oftentimes is the case with, uh, with people in the Catholic Church. They're lost. And so I would argue again and again right now, I'm passionate about this, that just like most places in, in education, at least at the beginning of you know, lower education, maybe high school and down under, you spend the first couple days, maybe even the first week, reviewing the material from last year. I think every parish, at least once a year, if not twice, you should spend four weeks where you just preach the gospel. That's right. Otherwise, you'll be lost, right? And, and you and I, so we're Fleming Rutledge is this uh, woman who uh, I've, I've just really become, uh, I don't want to say infatuated with because I'm infatuated with her work, um, but her her <laughs> stuff is amazing, right? And so we just came across this line, Mary. What was the line that uh, we saw? Yeah, so you get a load of this. She says, in the final analysis, specialized theological knowledge can only take us so far. We need to know the story. And everything that you've just said, Father, underscores that truth, right? And there's no better time and there's no better audience than the target-rich environment that is Christmas. And, and Nick, I'm sure like, like myself, when we invite our family members to come to Mass this Christmas, we don't want, to hear, we don't want them to hear like a, a cute story or um, we want them to hear truth because they're not going to hear that anywhere else, right? We want their hearts to be captured by the goodness of the gospel, that God has done something for us, that he's done something for death. Absolutely. I I want you guys to speak into that if you can, because so it's the time of year, as you mentioned it early, uh, Nick, when uh, you guys have family members who don't follow Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, don't know him, don't know the story. Mm -hmm. And and, And oftentimes you invite them to Christmas and they come, which is really pretty remarkable, right? It is. And they come. So as somebody who's sitting in the pew with family members um, who don't know him yet, who haven't been overwhelmed by the good news, who haven't surrendered, like, what would you say? To, like, what are you hoping for for them when you come to Mass on Christmas? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, right? The image I have right now is, you know, uh, so, so we, can't, we can't preach that homily, but we can, we can get the ball on the tee and get it ready for you to hit. And so we're bringing our family. They're going to be sitting next to us. Mm. And uh, like, Father, you know, I, I need you to, to just to swing. Don't you, like the Lord's going to make the contact. Love that image. Just <laughs> swing. Swing hard. Swing fearlessly. The Lord's going to be there. The Spirit's going to come. And uh, I just think that, that it works. The gospel's power. Yeah, that's an awesome image, huh? So here's another image that just came to me as I'm hearing you speak. You know, we want, it's like someone casting a line, right? And I want our family, I want their hearts to be hooked. If nothing (laughs) else, I'm just praying for the grace of curiosity. Yeah. That somehow or another they hear something in a compelling way that they've never heard before, and they're inspired to come back the next week to hear more. Right, just, yeah. j- just, just to cast that line, hook their heart, just for a little nibble, and they'll come back. And all the more so right now, right? Because I think, I remember, uh, I heard a, a Catholic radio announcer, he was talking about this one time. He was just observing, I th- his take was, I think the culture's perception of, the, of Christianity is something like, meh, nothing really to see there, move along. When in fact, it's anything but that, right? So, so many people have just, uh, kind of tossed over their shoulder, like there's not this, this is boring. This is ordinary. There's nothing for me here. When in fact, this is the only 
message, which can resonate with the human heart's deepest desires, right? And so if there's ever a time to preach to the people who uh, don't know that in a compelling, joyful, attractive way, this is the time, right? That's right. And I mean, a lot of times at, at, at uh, Christmas, I mean, ho- other holidays for sure, we're feeling vulnerable, right? Remembering loved ones mm. who've passed on, mm. um, maybe even feeling lonely. It's just, it's just, it just brings that out. Receiving and giving, mm-hmm. it just brings out vulnerability. And um, I think as a result of that, you know, it's all the more relevant right now at this, at this time to preach the gospel. Um, you know, the, the, the image of Jesus in the nativity, it's so easy to like look at that and kind of pass it off. You know, especially for someone who don't know, someone who doesn't know the gospel, um, who hasn't experienced the gospel, you look at that that image of nativity, and it's just sitting there. It's like nice little Jesus, and okay, let's let's get on back to the the presents at home or the, the meal at home. But just to to go back to to our brothers who are preaching, right? Um, they, they we want them, like Mary, you were saying, you know, maybe they come back next Sunday or or, or, or just stirs over the next year, right? They're, they're coming and expecting, as you were saying, Father John, the same thing, like boring, nothing. irrelevant to my life, nothing. But just to even even take an opportunity to swing at that that ball, right? Mm-hmm. That that Jesus and that little baby becomes something more. Right. Or even just the, the curiosity, that baby is something more than just a, a, a historical figure. Is, is, um, that, that's it. It's seeds, right? Yeah. Seed planting. And he might be disarming because he's a child, but he's not cute. Amen. That's the key. Right? And, and whether they know it or not, they're coming because they're hungry for something. Right. Most of them are at the saturation point, right? Because the culture is trying to evangelize them, and that's just not quite cutting it. Well, we talked about this in the last podcast, right? I mean, you know, the, the convictions that we operate out of, the first conviction is that the world is crying right now, right? Mm-hmm. And so the gospel is the response to that cry, and the cry is loneliness, it's despair, it's isolation, it's a sense of meaninglessness, which is, you know— born out in our suicide rate and the addictions that we have to, you know, drugs and alcohol and porn or whatever it might be. So uh, the world's crying, the gospel's the remedy to the world's cry. That's right. They just mm-hmm. got to hear it. Right? Right. So, and, and it's, it's not about the messenger, right? It's about the message. That's right. It's, and that's key. So, so for the John, people are hearing us talk about the gospel being power. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So, so we, we would lead with pretty routinely, um, the best passage that I know how to introduce this is just uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, where he writes, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So what's salvation? Salvation's like health, wholeness, putting, being put back together. It's, the, it's being restored to everything that the human person was created to be in its fullness, right? So like, who doesn't want to be healthy? Who doesn't want to be whole? Like, I'm Humpty Dumpty. I fall off the wall every morning, you know, and God and his kindness and his graciousness puts me back together, even when I push myself off the wall, right? So when Paul says the gospel is power, the word he uses for power, the Greek word that's used there is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite, right? In other words, the gospel isn't news. The gospel is explosive news. And as you just mentioned, you know, this is a huge encouragement to those who do preach. Paul doesn't say the messenger of the gospel is power. Paul says the gospel is power. In other words, like all the pressures off of me, you know, yes, we should spend our time and learn rhetoric and, 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 and work on how to deliver things in such a way so that they can be 
um, piercing to hearts, but we have to trust that the Holy Spirit anoints the proclamation of the gospel when it's delivered, and the result is people's lives are changed. We see this all the time. Yeah, in fact, you, you you shared a story with us a few times about a young, beautiful, successful woman coming in to have a meeting with you. Tell us about that story, Father. What happened? Yeah, so uh, as I felt like the Lord was increasingly telling me, I've got to share the story in different ways. I got in the habit of saying to people whenever they would come to visit me, you know, so no one comes to see a priest to say, hey, <laughs> Father, like, my life's going really good. I just want to tell you that. You know, thanks. You know, love you. You know, it's usually like, my life's a mess, blah, 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 right? So we're just doing trauma most of the time. So this, this one particular woman, she came to see me, and, and as you, so she was stunningly beautiful, young woman, very successful professionally, professionally, made a boatload of money, and her life internally is just chaos, right? Mm-hmm. So she came to see me. We're sitting in the, in the chapel at, at the parish I was serving at. And I said to her what now I say to everybody when they come see me, you know, thanks for coming. Great question. Um, before I answer that, can I just tell you how I see the world? So I, you know, I wear reading glasses. So I always put my glasses on, you know, demonstrate this. Can I tell you how I see the world? Because if I don't, if I don't share that with you, however I answer your question, which is a huge question, it's not going to make sense. And so if they say no, I'm like, okay, well, it's great to see you. You can leave. Um, But if they say, yeah, then I tell them how I see the world. And inevitably, every time, and this young woman was the most powerful example of it. In like five minutes, I tell her how I see the world. She's bawling. And she looks at me and she says, I'll never forget this. She says, that's not the God I knew growing up. And I think she's indicative of millions of people who are going to come to church this Christmas. And how many of us could say the same thing, Absolutely. right, before we that's met right. the Lord? So, Father John, what, what are those lenses? How did you explain to her how you see the world? Or better yet, how does God reveal to us those that are created in his image and likeness. How, how does God reveal to us the story? Yeah, so the way we put it here is it's so important, especially right now with the things that Nick and I were talking about last week, you know, the confusion in the world, the church, whatever. It's easy to get lost in details and headlines and crises. There's never been, at least in our lifetime, I would argue, a more important time to like pull out of the weeds and just recapture the big picture and try to understand God's plan for the world and then our mission in it. And so scripture, there's a need to recover uh, what I would say is a biblical vision of reality. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 I'm very visual. It's how I think. It's how God communicates to me. And so the, the, way, that, the way that I often find uh, myself talking about this and trying to share it and teach it with others is, so imagine it's, uh, I show you a picture of June 6, 1944, mm-hmm. the Allies landing at D-Day. So they're all in their helmets, coming out of their landing crafts. they got the rifles in their hands. And we're doing a quiz. And I ask you, like, so what are they doing there? Just like Jesus in the manger. What are they doing there? And you got four choices, right? Option A, they have been dying to see the, fr- the beaches in France. Who's going for that? Mary, Mary, Mary's going for that. Mary's going for that. She likes the beach, right? So Nick's, Nick's, Nick's my, my caffeine addict. So option B, the coffee on Champs-Élysées in the main street in Paris is just like second to none, right? You, is, that, is that why they're there? That's, no, no, that's not why they're there, right? How about they've always wanted to see the Mona Lisa? Uh, <laughs> wrong. Incorrect, Bob. Thanks very much. No, I duh. They're there to fight, right? 
oh, okay. Well, the problem is now all of a sudden we see a manger under a tree or at the end of a hallway in a church. Mm-hmm. And we're looking there, we're asking the question like, what is he doing there? And I don't think everybody has an immediate answer to that, but I would argue that the answer should come as quickly to our minds as it does when we see the Allies landing at Normandy. And so for me, you know, imagine, imagine Mary, Mary, you and I are we're living in France, it's June 7th, it's 1944. Mm-hmm. And for the last three years, our life's been a mess, right? We've lost family members, they've been shot, they've been abducted by the Nazis, they're in concentration camps. Not just our country, but all of Europe is controlled by a tyrannical, demonic dictator together with Stalin, right? And one day we wake up, it's June 7th, we're sitting there, we're having a cup of coffee, and Paperboy like, tosses in the newspaper, and I'm reading the paper as you have your coffee. And I read the headline, and you ask me the question, so what happened yesterday? And I go, oh, not much. Looks like the Allies landed. It's going to rain later today. I mean, are you kidding me? Would I read the headline like that? No. Absolutely not, right? That's not news. Like, oh, the Allies landed. That's, that's extraordinary news. It's life-changing Ridiculous. news. Someone's it, coming. Ridiculous Someone news. came to rescue me. Amen. Right? Someone cares. Of, I matter to somebody who I don't even know. Enough that they would come across the English Channel, land at the beaches of France, so as to go to war to deliver me, to rescue me from captivity. Right? Willing to lay down their life. The gospel is infinitely better than that. And it's a story of freedom, right? Freedom was on the horizon for them. They knew that. And in the same way, Jesus is coming to free us. Right. Right, Father? So you were at that Mass. I, 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 was, I shared this a little bit yeah. last, last year at Mass. Yeah, so we were at um, Mass last year. And, of course, we invited all of our family, you know, inviting them to come. And we were so confident, right, that we were going to hear the gospel preached in power and and a uh, uh, compelling way. And um, after the Mass was over, those family members that we had invited actually stood in line to speak with you, Father. And I remember um, they said, that D-Day imagery, like that was so helpful. I would never thought of it that way. So those kinds of creative ways to share the story touched their heart in a particular way and created an opportunity for like phenomenal conversation after that. I think it's especially helpful for men. Yeah, it is. It is. In fact, um, that was the Midnight Mass. Mary was at Midnight Mass last year. Good job, Mary. You're up late. So that was the Midnight Mass homily uh, for the John Priest. And um, uh, for those of you listening, you can find that on our website. But I really want to encourage you to listen to it. Um, I, I've listened to it a couple of times. And every time after I, after I hear that homily, I mean, for me, I think it's the best Christmas homily I've ever heard because it's really saying explicitly and powerfully Jesus and that that nativity scene came to fight he came to fight for you to fight for me to rescue us from the powers of sin and death and father john articulates it in such a way that it just leaves you it leaves you um moved and so uh you can find that on our website www.acts29 org that is a c t s x x i x dot org but i for those for those who would listen to that maybe you're a maybe you're a preacher and you're going to listen to that and and you're thinking man i only have a little bit of time till christmas here in this i just want to encourage you father john i had heard that i heard this from him this uh 
the gospel from him. And I took it back and I had a retreat the next week. So I had heard him preach the gospel. The next week I went and led a retreat for leaders. And I only had a couple of days time to prep, totally flipped the agenda, preached the gospel. And I didn't do that great of a job, but because the gospel is power, Mm -hmm. people on that retreat who had never given their life over, they're working in ministry. They had not given their life over fully to Jesus. were crying. Yeah. Praise God. So it, it works. So if you listen to that homily, I encourage you, you can, you can, you can do that, do that, do that, um, you can move from a place of uh, switching, switching gears in a short amount of time and still the power of the gospel will be released. And I remember we, just before we began, you know, we were talking about what we we're going to talk about here and, and Deacon Steve, uh, who we still won't give a mic to. Um, so he just reminded us all, like when he and I got ordained deacons, right? I mean, the book of the gospel is placed in our hands and the bishop says, receive the gospel whose herald you are. Like this is our task as men who've been ordained, right? To, it's, it's all our task is... Uh, baptized believers, but in a special way, it's given to us, and there's a, there's an authority and an anointing that's given to you as a deacon, to me as a priest or a bishop, to proclaim the gospel. And there's never been a better time right now. And you don't have to do it the way I do it. Please don't, you know. But do it the way the Lord inspires you. But ask Him, Lord, help me to tell the story. Mindful that people are lost oftentimes when they come to church, right? That's right. So, Father um, John, we're talking about this gospel. What is it? What is the gospel? Yeah, so right, when Paul says the gospel's power, he doesn't mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So he doesn't have any gospels. (laughs) Um, So the gospel's actually a word which is used in in the Roman Empire. It it just means good news, right? And so the Roman Empire in which Paul's living, it has its Lord, that's Caesar. It has its gospel, its good news, that is that Caesar has come to bring peace, which of course isn't really true unless you're a Roman man, Roman citizen and a man. Um, So what he's saying is that the basic proclamation uh, is, in fact, power, right? And so Mary mentioned this word kerygma earlier, which is kind of becoming a trendy word right now, but that's the danger in the Catholic Church is we use words that nobody knows what we're talking about. So <laughs> most of us don't speak Greek. Um, so kerygma is just a, a, the word for proclamation is what it is. And it, it, it can be described, it, it's, it's got four parts, And it's usually described something like this. So the basic proclamation of the gospel is um, the goodness of creation, sin and its consequences, God's response to our sin, and our response to what God's done. But Father, if we hear that, like that doesn't move me. Like that still sounds kind of... You weren't overwhelmed just now? I wasn't overwhelmed. (laughs) That didn't touch me. Yeah, it sounds boring as heck, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it sounds academic. This is what we do in the church, tragically, right? right? I mean, Peter Crave talks about how... We have undone the miracle of Cana. We've, we've turned the only person who never bored anybody into somebody who's boring. We've turned the wine back into water. So you're right. It doesn't sound very overwhelming, right? So there's another way to ask, what's the kerygma? What's the, the, the gospel that's power? Uh, and it's by asking questions. Uh, so the first question would be, why is there something rather than nothing? Huge question, Right. Um, why is ob- everything so obviously messed up? Hmm. What if anything has God done about it? Because it doesn't look like anything's happened. And if no. he's done anything about it, how should I respond? So that's another way to, dis- yeah. to describe it. That's a little more provocative, right? It makes me, makes me think a little bit more. So that's helpful. Yeah, it's, it really, it's profound. It's intellectual. Yeah. But were you overwhelmed? No, it's not, it's not overwhelming. Not yet. And it's not, uh, I can't nope. remember those things. Not much. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was blessed to be able to give a talk uh, out in Denver 
gosh, maybe a year and a half ago or so. And it was a man who was there, his name I won't mention, but if I mentioned it, a lot of you would know who he is. And so I valued this, this person's input greatly. And I wanted to get his feedback on what was beginning to be the, the way I tell the story. I just wanted to hear an outsider's take. And so I said, hey, you know, like, can, you, can you tell me what you thought of that? I'd really appreciate your insight. And so he said some kind things about it. It wasn't flattering. It was kind. And then he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He said, um, as great as that was, it's not repeatable. Hmm. You got to find a way to make it repeatable. And man, was that helpful feedback yeah. to what? receive as a, a teacher and a preacher, right? As opposed to just, yeah, good talk. Like that's not, that's useless feedback. So I prayed for months just saying, Lord, I got to find a way. I know you want me to tell the story. Like that's what I am. I'm a herald in a particular way I feel right now. So teach me how to tell the story. And so after weeks and months of praying, Here's how I, I would synthesize the kerygma. It's four words, which means it's easy to remember. Created, captured, rescued, and response. And to be you know, biblically precise, there's a, there's a fifth word in there between captured and rescued, and the word is Israel. And the reason why that's so important, which we'll, we won't get into, but it's simply because God is faithful to the promises that he made to the people of Israel. And it's not like the Old Testament doesn't have anything to do with Everything that's in the new, everything that's in the New Testament is the fulfillment of what's in the old. And Jesus is the yes to all of God's promises that he made from the beginning. God is faithful to what he said from the first moment. And then for each of those words, created, captured, rescued, response, these aren't simply to be learned or studied. They're really to be prayed with. That's what we're going to be doing in these next number of podcasts, right? For each one of them, the way I do it is I, I try to ask God for a very specific grace. Hmm. So when, when we go to pray, sometimes we just go to talk, and sometimes we're asking God for specific things, right? And so for each word, I'm asking for a grace. The grace when I, when I ponder created is wonder hmm. and trust and awe. When I, when I ponder captured, like what's wrong with the world? Why is everything so messed up? The grace I pray for, odd as it sounds, is despair. We'll talk about that. When I ponder rescued and pray with rescued and what God's done for us, um, the grace I pray for is unshakable confidence in the Lordship of Jesus and, and generosity in my own self. Um, and then when I ponder uh, response, again, it's just, Lord, give me a generous heart to respond with everything I have to what you've done. Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful. I, um, uh, for anyone who's, who's uh, recently preached the gospel, let's say someone's recently preached it, or, or they're like, that's so basic. Is that really that helpful? It is. I mean, we've been, Mary and I, we've been, we've been sitting in this for months, right? I mean, I've, I've heard Father John preach it. We've preached it. Mm-hmm. We've heard it so many times, but yet again, every single time God does something new in me. So whether the person in the pews, uh, almost a living saint, right? Or they have never heard it before. The message is powerful it, and it's relevant and it brings conversion. And it moves us, right? So there's an anointing on those four words. And, um, and what it does, it makes it repeatable because we're supposed to go out and share with those in our lives what God has done. And oftentimes we don't even know where to begin to articulate the story. Like I can learn created, captured, rescue right. response. You don't need a theology right? degree for that. No. Right. <laughs> right. We just need to be, we just need to be, um, 
um, open to the Holy Spirit. So this has really been a big tease, right? Because this, this is what we're going to be doing for these next set of weeks when we, right. when we start right, breaking up the podcast. So um, if you feel like, wow, this is great, but like, I don't know what to do with these words, don't worry. That's what we're, we're going to be talking about tuned. in the weeks to come. This is, what, what's this? This is kind of like a, the back oh, yeah. of a book, right? So Kevin, the seminarian in here, we were talking about before this, right before this, and the image he gave us was like, yeah, this is like the back cover of the book. And so in the coming, in some coming episodes, we're going to unpack created, captured, rescued, and response to really help us all enter into what that means and, and what that looks like. And open the book. And speaking open of book. books, you have a new book coming out, Father John Wright, around Easter? Yeah, uh, coming out in Easter, and it will be this. So we're going to try to, uh, try to unpack and, and help make it a really accessible way and just put it in the hands of as many people as we can, uh, the story. Because right. it's what we need to hear right now. That's right. So the title of that book is Rescued. The Unexpected and Extraordinary News of the Gospel. So just want to encourage you again, Father John's Christmas homily from last year. You can see that on our website right now to scroll down. It's on our Facebook page. Um, I really encourage you to go out there and listen to that. Thanks, Mary. Great to have you around the table. It was and, a blast. Uh, Thanks Deacon for having Steve, me. I'm going to give you a mic next time, man. I don't want to just see. No way. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to just have you sitting there looking Merry at me Christmas. going, "Hey, wrap this up, right?" So, <laughs> Christmas hey, gift. Blessed Christmas to everybody who's, uh, who's listening, and uh, we look forward to being with you again on our next podcast. And remember, do not be afraid. God is with you. You were born for this. Yeah.